Before I get into the word, I don't know if you're aware that Finchley and Gold is Green has been in the news this week because our MP, Mike Freer, has announced that he is about to resign as an MP because of death threats for supporting Israel. Um, we have our issues with Mike Freer because he is a practicing homosexual, but he does stand up for Israel. I went to a meeting with some Jewish friends in which he spoke about his... Uh, activities on behalf of the Jewish people, how he'd stood up for Israel and the Jewish people <coughs> against the anti-Semitism which has come about <coughs> in recent days. Um, speaks about a time when <coughs> the man who actually murdered the MP, Sir David Amos, in Southend came to his office prior to that and he happened to be not there at the time, but he probably saved his life by the fact he wasn't there. It says in the paper here, an outspoken supporter of Israel, MP in one of the most heavily Jewish constituencies in the country, Mike Freer has been used to intimidation, abuse and death threats. Decayed earlier, organization Muslims Against Crusades hired its supporters to target him, referencing the stabbing of Labour MP Stephen Timms by an Al-Qaeda supporter. The group posted a picture of Mr. Freer online with a message, let Stephen Timms a warning to you. When members of the group burst into an event he was holding in a mosque, one said he was a Jewish homosexual pig defining the house of Allah. I'm not a Jewish and I'm not a pig, he observed. But many more incidents were included to follow in the coming years, including numerous threats, abusive notes left on his car, mock petrol bombs placed on the steps of his constituency office. And he's decided he's had enough and he's going to quit as an MP. Um, I just raise that because it's a sign of what's happening in our society. That if you stand for Israel, you make yourself a target. And whatever we think about his homosexuality, he has actually stood firmly for Israel. And he's been threatened. And it's, it's worrying for us because also we stand for Israel. So could we also be threatened? But we have this growing intolerance and violence in our society, which is clearly something of great concern. And is actually attacking our democracy, our freedom of speech, and so on. So I just brought that to your attention. It's happening. We should just have a word of prayer and pray about this matter. Pray for Mike Freer. I think he does identify as a Christian, but he's not a, obviously a very loose Christian. But let's just pray the Lord will have mercy. And Pray about what it implies, because it does imply that there is this threat. If you stand for Israel and you stand for the Jewish people, that you may be assassinated yourself. And they also, the same people are coming for those who believe in Jesus. Let's just have a word of prayer, and then we'll look at the word of God. Lord, we do commit this situation to you, and it's clearly a sign of the dangers which we have in this society. Dangers of intolerance, of extremism, violence which are all around us. And we pray particularly that it has come against the MP because of his stand for Israel and the Jewish people. Lord, we just pray that you will have mercy upon him, that you'll protect him from harm, and that he will, in spirit and truth, turn to the Lord Jesus. And we pray, Lord, about ourselves, that we keep us safe as we do also make a public stand for Israel and for the Jewish people. Lord, protect us from those who would harm us in any way. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, we're going to look today at Matthew chapter 3. 
I have spoken last two times uh, here from the first two chapters of Matthew. I thought we'd continue. So if you have your Bibles, want to turn to Matthew chapter 3. Incident where John the Baptist meets Jesus. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. When he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, therefore every tree that was not dare bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. And he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I indeed, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So the account of John the Baptist, his ministry in the wilderness, and his encounter with the Lord Jesus. First verse says, in those days, uh, in those days it reminds us that this was a historical event. And when you read the Bible, you read the stories in the New Testament, you're not reading fictional accounts, you're reading stories or accounts of what happened in time and space. Interestingly, look at Luke's uh, introduction to this event in Luke chapter 3, parallel passage. He says, now in the 15th year, of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, when Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Probably you've not heard of many of those people, maybe Tiberius and Pontius Pilate and Caiaphas. But if you investigate history, you'll find that they really existed, that they were people who uh, had rule at that time. And this is actually important for us because our Bible is an account of what happened in time and space. Look at other holy books, you look particularly at the Quran, you'll find no reference to anything outside of the text itself to locate it in time and space. It's just a collection of stories. Go to other holy books, they're just a collection of stories which are made up, some of them mythical. But when you come to our book, it's things which God did in time and space. They really happened. They were real people. Uh, it was God moving through his Holy Spirit, through the people whom he had chosen to bring to bear his message of salvation. 
When we look at this message, we see that uh, John the Baptist had a message which began with a call to repent. First thing he said, repent for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. What does repent mean? Uh, Hebrew word repent, teshuvah. It means to change direction. In other words, you're going one way and you turn around and go the other way. You're going away from God, you turn around and you come to God. Greek word is metanoia, means to change your mind. Your mind is full of all sorts of thoughts which are far from God. Uh, you have all kinds of priorities which are nothing to do with the kingdom of God. When you become a Christian, when you come to believe in the Lord, you change your mind and God becomes your priority. And the kingdom of God becomes the motivating force in your life. So you change your mind. And we see that John began his ministry saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's about to, it's here, it's now. You can repent and receive it. Now it's at hand. And when we look at uh, the first message of Jesus in the next chapter, chapter 4 of Matthew, verse 17, it says, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. First message of Jesus, exactly the same, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we look in the book of Acts, we find that the first message of the apostle Peter, in Acts chapter 2, he presents to the crowd around him uh, the message that Jesus died and rose from the dead, and he says that we're all responsible for this, in fact he even says that you people who are here, you're responsible for the death of Jesus, and it says then they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the men, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, that every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. First message then was to repent. And now that Jesus had died and risen from the dead, the message was then to be repent, to be baptized as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. With the promise that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Apostle Paul, speaking to Peter was speaking to Jews in Jerusalem. Paul, speaking to Greeks in Athens, says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent, because he's appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He's given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. God's appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. Therefore, in the light of that, in the light of the fact that there is a day of judgment coming, uh, a day of judgment when we all stand before God, and the day of judgment, what should we do? We should repent and believe. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah who died and rose from the dead. So we can see that the message, the primary message which comes out from all of these uh, men who were ordained by God to bring us the gospel, the first thing they said was repent and believe. And, you know, we look around, we see the dire state of the world today. We see all sorts of things which we don't like happening. We say, what can we do about it? And sometimes, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about it. People have chosen to go the way of sin. Uh, we can't actually stop them from doing this. We can't stop the wars. We can't stop the pornography, the violence, the wickedness which we see in our society. We wish we could. But we can ourselves repent and come out of it. And we can look forward to the day when Jesus is going to come back and he will stop it all and be ready for the day of Jesus coming to judge the world in righteousness. And John goes on to say that you should flee the wrath to come. Flee the wrath to come. There's a day of wrath coming on sin and wickedness. Perhaps we don't like to talk about the wrath of God. 
But it's there in the Bible, isn't it? Um, remember when I first became a Christian with my first wife, Nikki, who's gotten to be with the Lord now, we used to go down to Speaker's Corner, and we had a bookstool there. Uh, at that time, you could do it. The priests have cleared them all away now. And we had a bookstall. We gave out leaflets and had pamphlets. Uh, we were surrounded by communists, mainly. And a guy selling the Mao's Red Book next to us, who we got quite friendly with. Uh, and we got some other people around about us who were all communists. But I remember one of the things which was featured at that time, there was a man who stood in the middle of Speaker's Corner with a huge banner saying, Flee the wrath to Come. Um, wasn't a great witness because he was surrounded by all kinds of crazy people, and there were all kinds of also people mocking and ridiculing him, but he uh, stood there with his banner saying, flee the wrath to come. And actually it was quite powerful in a sense because you saw that message and you thought, wow, is there a wrath to come? Should we flee from it? Uh, and, you know, as I say, we complain about the state of the world, but God complains about it even more. <laughs> and God is actually angry with sinners. It says in the Psalms, Psalm 7, verse 11, God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. So when God looks at the world, he's actually angry with the wickedness which is taking place. Uh, sometimes, you know, when you watch the news, you get angry at what people are doing. Heard this week about this uh, girl who killed the uh, transgender woman. Uh, apparently she spent her time watching torture videos, and she identified as a Satanist. Now, I get angry with her, but I get angry even more with the people who've allowed this to happen in our society. So that we're having a generation growing up which is feeding on all kinds of filth and wickedness. And you couldn't be surprised at what comes out of them. Uh, if you feed dung and trash into them, then you're going to get wickedness coming out of them. And that's one of the really things which God gets angry about in our society. And I guess we get angry about it too. And God's going to have a day when he's going to deal with it. Reminds us of the time of Noah. Uh, when God saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And God was sorry that he made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart. And God saw the corruption on the earth and he saw the wickedness which was there and he said, I'm going to make an end of it. I'm going to destroy all flesh on the earth. And he chose Noah. Noah chose him. Noah was righteous in the eyes of the Lord. And God told him to make an ark and to go into the ark and save himself and his family and the animals so that be saved from the wrath of God, which was coming on the earth. Was God justified in doing that? Some people think it's a bit cruel of God to wipe out all those people. But the fact is that if they had continued in that way, then it had brought the earth into such a state of degradation that it would be uh, the end of any kind of decency living on the earth. One has to say, when you look at the plate of the world today, you see so many signs of wickedness here and in, around the world, in Russia, in China, in the uh, Muslim world, and we see all the powers of darkness coming together with forces of evil which are threatening to overthrow any kind of decent and honourable society and replace it with the most cruel and wicked societies which actually are under the judgment of God. So God is angry with the wicked all the day long. And <clears throat> even we would much rather talk about the love of God than the wrath of God. But the wrath of God is there. And even the verse which is most associated with the love of God actually does contain a message which points to the alternative. John, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, in that verse, there are two possibilities. Either you perish or you have everlasting life. And it all depends on your faith in the Messiah, in Jesus the Messiah. Interesting, that chapter ends with the word uh, in John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Okay, so you've got two choices there. Either you believe in Jesus and you have everlasting life, or you don't believe in Jesus and the wrath of God abides upon you. It's a very stark choice, and some people get really annoyed when you tell them that. Say, well, I'm a good person. <laughs> You're not saying that I'm a wicked sinner, are you? And there are people out there, many of them who are uh, relatively good people, but none of us is righteous enough to escape from God's judgment unless we put Jesus in our lives and we receive his goodness, his righteousness in place of our unrighteousness because he actually bore the wrath of God against sin in himself on the cross. So it's very important that we believe in Jesus. We have eternal life through faith in him and that we come out from under the wrath of God into the place of protection. Just like Noah and his family came out from under the wrath of God, under the punishment which was coming because of sin in the flood, into the ark, which gave them salvation. And Jesus said it would be as in the days of Noah, in the last days. And in the last days we're going to see the wrath of God poured out on the world in the time which we call the Great Tribulation. Which ends with the passage in Revelation chapter 6, verse uh, 12. Where it says, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? The wrath of the lamb is a bit of a strange expression, isn't it? Because you think of a lamb being a nice, cuddly little animal. But speaking about the lamb of God, Jesus is coming this time as the king of kings and lord of lords. And his wrath <coughs> will come upon the wicked. And we don't like to speak about it, but it's there in the Bible. Uh, sometimes people say the Old Testament is full of God's anger and judgments. But actually, if you look in the New Testament, uh, there are much more which speaks about God's wrath and God's judgment. And there's much more actually about hell uh, in the New Testament than there is in the Old Testament. And the New Testament, as we see, begins with this message to repent. And it ends with the most graphic descriptions of what happens if you don't. In Revelation 20, with a description of the wicked being thrown into the lake of fire. God forbid that any of us should end up in that place. We don't have to, because if we repent and believe, we have eternal life through faith in Jesus. But it's a very stark choice, and often, you know, as a preacher, I don't like to speak about it. I'd much rather speak about the love of God. But it's there in the Bible, and you can't get away from it. Therefore, it's very important that everybody who hears this message should repent, believe the gospel, and follow Jesus Christ through eternal life. There's no other way to get into the kingdom of God except through faith in Jesus. And John the Baptist is coming as a forerunner. 
So let's go back to John and see what it says, tells us about him. It says that he's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Uh, if you know, this is actually a quotation from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, one of the many prophecies in the Old Testament which speak about the events of the New Testament of Jesus, the Messiah. Isaiah 40, verse 3, it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The picture there is of building a road, building a road for the arrival of the Messiah, a road for the arrival of a great king. The concept of preparing the way of the Lord was actually one which was known to the people at the time. Um, in the days of when the temple was standing, uh, the pilgrims would go up three times a year to the temple in Jerusalem for Passover, for Shavuot, Pentecost, and for the Feast of Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles. And they'd go up to Jerusalem, and there'd be people who'd go out to prepare the way, so to prepare the way to take out the stones, to take out the obstacles from people carrying up to Jerusalem so that they would have a clear way to go to meet with the Lord in the temple. <clears throat> Ministry of preparing the way for the pilgrims to come up to Jerusalem. Fixing the road so there were no obstacles which would be removed. Actually, it was a picture of the people coming to the Lord, not the Lord coming to the people. So John the Baptist was preparing the way for the people to come to the Lord. And <clears throat> the idea of preparing the way of the Lord is a picture of what must take place in the hearts of the people. He was crying out in the wilderness with a message of repentance so that they would prepare the way of the Lord, prepare people's hearts so they're ready to meet with the Lord. Uh, sin is what separates us from the Lord, so that's why his message was one of repentance and accepting God's way. He also came in the spirit of Elijah. Malachi chapter, five, chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And there is a Jewish tradition of the coming of, the, of Elijah before the Messiah comes. Uh, you read in the prophets, in the book of the prophets, Elijah was the one who confronted the wicked king Ahab and Jezebel uh, with the word of God and called Israel of the day to repent of idolatry, of worshipping Baal and other gods and to repent and come to God. Message was confirmed with signs and wonders, as happened at the Mount Carmel confrontation with the prophets of Baal. And Elijah was perhaps the greatest of the prophets, the greatest of the spoken prophets in the Bible. And the idea is that the Elijah is going to precede the coming of the Messiah. Someone will come, not a reincarnation of Messiah, but of Elijah, but will come in the spirit of Elijah to precede the coming of the Messiah. And we see that this was the ministry which God had given to John. Uh, his father, Zechariah, we recall in chapter 1 of Zechariah, uh, went into the temple as a priest, and he was told that he was going to have a son. His wife, Elizabeth, was barren, uh, and he doubted at first, but then he uh, was given the message when John was born that his name would be John, and he began to speak out the message of uh, speaking about the ministry of John, what he was going to do. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 16, 76, speaks of John, and he says, But you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, 
You go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give the knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And that was to be the ministry of John, to prepare the way of the Lord, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. So notice that that's the prophecy given to John at his birth by his father Zechariah. Also told in Luke chapter 1 that he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And Jesus spoke about John in this way in Matthew chapter 11, verse 13. He said, all the prophets and the Lord prophesied until John, and if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he's a prophet who's going to come in the spirit of Elijah. And Jesus, in this verse, does identify John as that one. Also told that before the second coming of Jesus, there's going to be the prophet who will come in the spirit of Elijah. Uh, maybe the two witnesses in Jerusalem of Revelation chapter 12. But John, some prophet will come with great power from God. Also with signs and wonders following to call people to repent and to believe before the second coming of Jesus. Now come back to John himself. We find that he uh, was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt. Now, that little detail actually does connect him again to Elijah. Uh, patterned after Elijah, who called Israel to repentance, and in 2 Kings chapter 18 was described as a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. Uh, so another identification with Elijah. And as he preached, we read also that all Jerusalem... Judea and the region around Jordan went out to meet him. So John had a tremendously powerful ministry. Some reason people were going up, going down, sorry, not up, because you go down to the Jordan, you go down to the lowest place uh, in the world. They were going down from Jerusalem and Judea and all around to hear this prophet speaking in the wilderness. A very unusual event. So again, this must have been God actually drawing these people together uh, to hear this prophet speaking in the wilderness. And as he was preaching, he had a tremendous response. People were responding. People recognized their sinfulness, their need to get ready for the Messiah. They're willing to do something about it. I think this also tells us that there was an expectation at the time that the Messiah was going to come. And you see this from reading the New Testament, that people were looking for the coming of the Messiah. Uh, And John was coming this time, not as the Messiah himself, but as a forerunner. And now I believe we're living in the time before the second coming of Jesus. And many people are aware of the coming of the Lord. And we need also to get right with God by repenting and believing and being ready for his coming. And he told them also to be baptized on confession of their faith. Uh, And so they were baptized confessing their sins. Another important aspect. So people were recognizing they were sinners and confessing their sins. And as a result of this confession of their sins, they were being baptized uh, by immersion. Immerse, baptist, baptism is from a Greek word which means to immerse. So the baptism actually meant being immersed in the water, going down under the water of the River Jordan, coming up again. Uh, also, we notice, of course, that these were people who were conscious of the fact that they were sinners and therefore needed to make this step. So they weren't babies, uh, which is why 
we don't believe in baptizing babies, but we do believe in baptizing people on confession of their faith when they've come to understand that they need this right to follow the Lord. And it says they were confessing their sins. Uh, obviously, they were serious about getting right with God. And then we read how the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to John. Uh, question, why were they coming? Were they coming to be baptized or to check out what was happening? Uh, one of the things you notice when you read through the Gospels is that sometimes when Jesus did one of his miracles, his messianic miracles, uh, people came down from Jerusalem and Judea to check out what he was doing. Uh, they were wondering what was happening here. They were expecting someone who might be a Messiah or a pretender to be the Messiah, and Jesus was being identified as the Messiah, so they were coming out to check out what was happening. Maybe that was what they were doing here, or maybe they were genuinely actually coming to be baptized themselves. It does seem they were wanting to be baptized. Uh, what do we know about the Pharisees? Uh, quite a lot in this New Testament. Uh, don't get a very good press. Jewish people actually get sometimes upset because they see the Pharisees as a good example of people who tried to follow the Torah, uh, which in some ways they were. They were the more active people amongst the uh, Jewish congregation. They went out to try to bring people to uh, the God of Israel as they understood it. So sometimes when we just characterize the Pharisees as hypocrites, it's not actually totally the whole picture. In fact, we read in the book of Acts that many Pharisees did come to believe in Jesus. Nevertheless, there were some things about the Pharisees which we do read in the New Testament. Uh, first one is that they believed that they were made righteous by keeping the law, and they believed themselves to be specially righteous. See this in the parable Jesus spoke about, the Pharisee and the publican. And the Pharisee stands up in the temple and says, I'm not like other men, I'm righteous, I do all these good things, not like this publican. And the publican says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And the publican goes down justified before God, not the Pharisee. They also often misinterpreted the law. You can see that in Matthew chapter 15 where they added things to the law and kind of adapted it to benefit themselves. And they held many traditions which were of equal authority to the scriptures. That you had a tradition that God gave the Torah, the oral law, which they call it at Mount Sinai, which was commentaries on how to keep the law and they gave these commentaries equal uh, um, significance with the written law of Moses. So that actually they made the commandments of men the commandments of God. They added to the law with their traditions. And often they were hypocrites in their practice, neglecting the core and the spirit of the law uh, for outward appearances. Read that in Matthew chapter 23. So we read here that the Pharisees came from Jerusalem to Galilee to, see, to, to the Jordan to see what John the Baptist was doing. And John the Baptist greets them with what must be the most undiplomatic sermon ever preached. Brood of vipers, have you come to escape the, the wrath to come? How would you feel if I addressed you in that way when you came into Bridge Lane Christian Fellowship? Probably might be a little bit offended. But that's what he said, and he didn't mince his words, did he? Uh, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? And he's speaking here, warning them that there is a wrath to come. I've said already, not a popular subject, but he's saying it. There is a wrath to come. <clears throat> it will come. It will come, and when it will be come, it will be terrible. 
In terms, actually, of Pharisaic Judaism and the Judaism of the Sadducees, 40 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the wrath was going to come when the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed, the temple would be destroyed, and Judaism, as it was practiced in temple times, would have to be adapted and changed to the new form of Judaism which we have today. So, actually, God's judgment was going to come upon that generation uh, 40 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. <clears throat> and also for us, as we are approaching, I believe, the end of time, the end of this age, uh, we see the coming of the Great Tribulation period, which will bring to an end the current religious and political system of our world, which actually is doomed. And God is saying, flee from this, flee from the wrath to come. Flee means get away from it, get from under this covering into the covering of God. And so you, we have to flee, we have to leave things which are of the world, which are under God's judgment, and which are going to be destroyed and come under the covering of God through faith in Jesus the Messiah. And John goes on to say to them, bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. Don't think to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. Uh, what's the significance of that? Uh, now, many religious Jewish people at this time considered that because they were descendants of Abraham, therefore they received the righteousness of Abraham themselves, and therefore they had salvation simply by, birth, uh, by, by, by their birth connection to Abraham. <clears throat> and in fact, even today, I've heard some who would say that all... Uh, uh, <clears throat> that... All Israel has a place in the world to come because of their connection to their Jewish identity. Now, clearly that is not the case because you can be a descendant of Abraham and be a very good person trying to serve the Lord. You can also be a descendant of Abraham and be a wicked person. And the Bible has plenty of examples in the Hebrew Scriptures of people who were descendants of Abraham who were thoroughly wicked and went right against uh, God's commandments. So, John is, saying, John is saying here, uh, it's not Abraham's merits which are going to give you salvation. You have to have the merit yourself through putting your life right with God and bringing forth fruit which will <coughs> stand and which will show that you are of a different spirit to the spirit of this world. And he calls them a brood of vipers. Now, vipers actually is connected with the serpent, isn't it? So you have a connection here with the devil. So he's saying here, you people who think you're righteous actually are still under the power of Satan and under the power of the evil one. And he's saying that God is able to raise up descendants to Abraham from these stones. Uh, now that's a kind of metaphorical picture, if you like. But what he's saying is that don't think that you are righteous because of your connection to Abraham. God's going to bring people to bear who will be connected to Abraham by faith and by receive his righteousness, which is not his righteousness, but God's righteousness, actually, ultimately, through faith in Yeshua, the Messiah. Bring forth fruits for repentance. Show by your changed life that you mean it. And that applies, of course, to us as Christians. Uh, you're not a Christian just by virtue of being born into a Christian family, coming to church, doing some good deeds. You're a Christian by faith, by repentance and faith in Jesus, the Messiah. And I would say that when he speaks here about the axe being laid to the tree, the root of the tree, the axe is being laid to the root of the tree of our so-called Christian civilization here in this part of the world. Uh, 
which is frankly about to collapse. It's an empty form, it's dying because people have neglected the truth of the word of God and failed to put into practice what God says in his word. And if we have just uh, an empty religion which doesn't produce the fruit which God wants by the Holy Spirit, then it will depart and it will be destroyed. An empty form, does that speak about so much of what is Christianity in our world today? I think it does. Hopefully we're not an empty form because we have true faith in Jesus the Messiah and are trying to put into practice the things which he tells us to do and to live the lives which he tells us to live. Okay, John goes on to say, I baptize you with water unto repentance. But he speaks about one who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John's baptist was one of repentance. Happened before the ministry of Jesus. It's similar to but not identical to Christian baptism. Christian baptism is actually baptism into Christ, which includes the demonstration of repentance and cleansing, also recognizes the believer's identification with Jesus Christ, with his death, his burial, and resurrection, which at this time hadn't happened, but we're looking forward to it. Now we have post-Jesus death and resurrection, so we are baptized into Jesus Christ, and we're born again to new life in Jesus uh, John recognized that one was coming after him. He said, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. Uh, John recognizes his own place before Jesus. He says he's not worthy to carry his sandals. He's not worthy to carry his shoes. Were. And <clears throat> he's far below Jesus. He's not even proud because of the crowds he's drawn and the response he saw. But he only wants to glorify the Lord. In John's gospel, Account, parallel account, it says, John says, he must increase, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. So his ministry was to point to Jesus, not to himself. And that should also be our ministry, to point to Jesus. Let him increase in our lives, let us decrease. Some preachers are always basically looking to themselves and boosting themselves up. Hopefully that's not what I try to do. I want to point you to Jesus. I'm nothing in the sight of God, but Jesus is. I am something because I'm redeemed by his blood. But it's through faith in Jesus, everything points us to Jesus as the one who is the one who lifts us up and brings us into his kingdom. He also says he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is a somewhat uh, controversial matter, but it includes a baptism. And he speaks about a baptism with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Uh, Fulfillment of this was going to come in the book of Acts. If you turn to Acts chapter 1, we read how Jesus, after his resurrection, met with the disciples. Uh, his last word to the disciples, recorded in the book of Acts chapter 1, verse uh, <coughs> 5, says, Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you've heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus speaks here about a baptism in the Holy Spirit. 
baptism which will empower the disciples to go out and preach the gospel, something which is going to come in the following days. This was on the 40th day after his resurrection, just before he ascended to heaven, told them to wait 10 days until the day of Pentecost, and on the day of Pentecost, 10 days later, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was going to come and baptize the, Holy, the disciples with <coughs> the Holy Spirit and with fire. What about the fire? There's a passage in uh, Malachi. Malachi chapter f- 3 <coughs> says, Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He is like a refiner's fire. Like a launderer's soap, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi, purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Baptize them with fire. Uh, The fire means to bring the fires of judgment, which will purify the pure, but destroy the wicked like chaff. Uh, The chaff is the worstless part of the wheat stalk after the kernel of grain has been removed. And there's a separation in the Bible between the chaff, which is worthless and burned up, and the wheat, which is worth, worth something and which is gathered into the barns. All of this comes together on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a loud sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and sat upon each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's to say that the experience of Acts chapter 2 is a one-off experience. Uh, they spoke with known tongues. People understood them. Also, tongues of fire appeared on their heads. Uh, that is not repeated in the rest of the book of Acts. It is repeated in baptism in the Holy Spirit, as I shall say in a moment. There is a symbolic matter to do with the tongues. They began to speak in other tongues, other languages. They were known languages. People came to them from places like Elam, which is Persia, and Rome. So from distant places, come together for the Feast of Shavuot, and they heard people speaking to them in their own languages and glorifying the Word of God. Obviously, there is a certain significance in this. Remember how the Tower of Babel, the tongues were divided so people couldn't understand them, This is a picture, actually, of the tongues being uh, understood and bringing people together in one. Also, it's a picture of the gospel going out to people of different languages, speaking the message of God to different people. The tongues of fire also speaks of the fire cleansing from sin and burning up the chaff. And so there is a symbolic thing. Some have said, well, it was one off, so that was it. But actually, if you look through the book of Acts, you find that there was a baptism in the Holy Spirit which continued. People spoke in tongues and were prophesied as they had the hands of the apostles laid upon them. Questioned, is this for that time only or does it continue? Now we have another issue which divides Christians and probably divides us even here. Some who believe that the Holy Spirit came once and for all, that was it, it was finished. That's the cessationist doctrine. Some people believe it came, and it came, and it continued. And the gift of tongues, the gift of the Holy Spirit, are still there for those who believe in them, those who want them today. Paul actually said to the Corinthians, uh, Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. 
I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesy, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless one indeed interprets that the church may receive edification. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be decently done decently and in order. So was that for that time only, or is it for our time? See some people shaking their heads and some people nodding. I don't know. But I, I personally, when I became a Christian, I became a Christian through Pentecostal Christians. I went to a charismatic fellowship. I was prayed for. I received the gift of tongues and I have spoken with prophecy. I believe it continues. I believe that we should actually continue to seek for these things because they're there in the scriptures. Nevertheless, it should be done decently and in order. And I have to say that some of the things which happened in the Recent times, especially in the hyper-charismatic movement, were not decent and were not in order and were not actually scriptural at all. So we have to base our faith on what is written in the scriptures. But I'll leave that one there for the moment. <coughs> it's there in the scriptures and Jesus did promise that he would give a baptism in the Holy Spirit and John said that he would come to give a baptism with the Holy Spirit. So let's just conclude because time has gone. I will speak more about what happened when uh, Jesus comes to John at the end of the passage here. But Jesus encounters, Jesus comes to John the Baptist. He came, John, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized. Uh, one of the remarkable meetings of two very special people in the kingdom of God. We'll look at this more in more detail next week. Just to give you four points to leave with, John protested about Jesus being baptized. He said, I should, be, I should be baptized by you. He understood that Jesus had no sin, therefore did not need to be baptized for the cleansing of sin. But Jesus said he would be baptized, and he was baptized for his identification with humanity. Jesus was going to be the one who bore the sins of many. And from the beginning right through to the end, he was identifying with sinful human beings here at his baptism, much more so at the cross where he would bear the sins of the world upon himself. But throughout his life, he was going to identify with sinners in order to take them out of being sinners into being children of God in the kingdom of God. And so he's giving them a pattern for us to follow, to repent, to believe, and then to be baptized. And in one sense also, Jesus was coming out as the Messiah. He was leaving behind his previous life, uh, in obscurity in Nazareth and preparing now for his three years of ministry when he was going to go out and preach the words of God and ultimately go to the cross to redeem us from our sins. And God confirms all this with his voice from heaven identifying Jesus as his son of God. <clears throat> and we'll close with the words at the end of the chapter when he had been baptized Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus is God's beloved Son, in whom he is well pleased. Hopefully he's well pleased in your life. Because if, he's pleased in your, if you're pleased with him in your life, and you repent and you believe, then you have eternal life with you, and you have a glorious future and a glorious hope in Jesus Christ. But also remember, if we don't believe, the wrath of God remains upon us. So we have a choice to make. Repent and believe, enter into the kingdom of God, don't believe, 
and the wrath of God remains upon you and you have to give account to God for your sins and you will face God's wrath for eternity. Not a good choice and it's pretty obvious which one you should take. You should repent and believe the gospel and follow Jesus through your life and he will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Lord, we do thank you that you are indeed the Messiah. You are the one who came. Help us, Lord, to follow you, to repent of our sins, to believe the gospel, and to do what is right in your sight. And we thank you, Lord, for the ministry of John the Baptist. We thank you that he was faithful to you. Thank you, Lord, that he taught the people and he prepared you the way for you to come. But we thank you even more for your life. Thank you that you are the one who came to redeem us and to save us. And we give you praise and glory for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.